Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for this tremendous opportunity to gather together as family in a unity that you've provided uh, to us as a group by means of your grace, motivated by your love. Father, we're so grateful and thankful for the completed canon of Holy Scripture, for this is the wellspring in which you afford us the opportunity to dig deep into and figure out really the mysteries of life itself. Father, thank you for revealing such things to us in time, and thank you for your patience in doing so. We pray for those that in the congregation that would like to be here this evening but cannot be for a variety of legitimate reasons. And we pray for those that are still lost, that we might be given an opportunity to evangelize them, Father. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to make an evening like this a reality, an evening of sweet, sweet fellowship, Father, with you and with each other. May we never become familiar with these things. We do pray for this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, God sees the heart, but the world sees the choices we make. Um, I guess the it's interesting. Um, this evening's message is going to be challenging, I think, uh, for some of you. Maybe uh, the people that aren't here, um, maybe it would be more challenging for them uh, if they were here. Um, but it's like clockwork. This is all I can tell you from after a decade behind a pulpit. Um, whenever a lesson is convicting, uh, and that conviction continues with review, say, on the next day. So Sunday was had some convicting elements to it. And then Tuesday, obviously, Scott was commissioned to um, review it. And the audience, I understand, was very low. It was very low. And it, it never fails. Why? Why is that always the case? Well, I guess the question in my head is, why stragglers? Like, why do people not take the grace of God? That was a lot of what was presented from the pulpit on Sunday. Why? So we're going to talk about that this evening. Why is it that whenever convicting messages are presented, certain people are absent from their seats? I mean, look around. Where is everyone? Even tonight. I mean, I'm not saying that people don't have legitimate reasons, and that doesn't mean, oh, I have a, a slight headache or I ran out of, you know, yodels, and I just don't feel well, right? It's like... I mean, legitimate reasons. If you're not like, you know, I'm here and I had an operation three days ago. Fair enough. I, I have stitches in my knee. I'm it's sore right now. I'm playing it off, but it's, it is sore. Michelle's making me do squats and like all kinds of stuff before class. <laughs> I'm just kidding. What's going on? I mean, if the pastor can make it here three days after an operation, then what other excuses are there? Are people in the hospital right now? So why is it that whenever convicting messages are presented, certain people are absent from their seats? Why is it typically the same people? Well, isn't it obvious? Luke 10, 38-42, Psalm 119, 1-9, Galatians 5, 16-17. Go to Luke 10, 38. Luke 10, 38. We're just going to investigate this, what the Spirit has to say, and 
please don't make the mistake of thinking this is Ed Collins trying to berate you or trying to throw stones at you. This is between you and the Lord and whoever else might hear it. And the sad part is, like I said on Sunday, the people who need to hear stuff the most tend to miss it. Luke 10:38. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. Only one thing is necessary. You're worried about and bothered about so many things. Sound like you? But only one thing is necessary. And Mary, for Mary, has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. So that's a big message right there. One sister was worried about every little detail. The other one was worried about Jesus. One was focused on the details. One was focused on the one detail that matters in all of our lives. And that's a huge message. So I wonder what the stragglers are toiling over when they're not taking in God's grace. I just wonder, what are they toiling over? Are they like Martha? Are they worried about details of life? Go to Psalm 119.1. Psalm 119, verse 1. I wonder what the stragglers are toiling over. Psalm 119, verse 1. And I don't have all the answers, so don't suppose that I think I do, because I don't. Uh, I just know and I see trends and I have to ask all the right questions because that's part of my job. Psalm 119.1, how blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk, not just talk, but walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. They also do know excuse me, unrighteousness, they walk in his ways. You have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. In other words, everything about the direction of my life should point towards his statutes, what the Lord wants and even demands of us. I mean, we have been purchased for a price, right? Verse 6, Then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments. I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart. When I learn your righteous judgments, I shall keep your statutes. Do not forsake me utterly. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. How can a young man, and this goes for women as well, how can a young person keep their way pure? By keeping it according to your word. That's how. The same goes, obviously, for women there. Go to Galatians 5.16. Galatians 5.16, we're just walking through the references on the board. Galatians 5.16. 
And the question on the table is, why? What are these stragglers doing? What are they not? Why are they not here? Why do they not take in the grace of God? And some, of, some people, I believe, in the church probably come to most classes when the church is open, but maybe they don't read the blogs. Maybe they don't do the Bible studies. Maybe they don't look at, go back sometimes when the Holy Spirit sort of uh, gives them the unction to do it. You know, hey, you kind of were confused about that point. Yeah, but I'm too lazy to actually go back to an amazing website. Uh, and research it. Galatians 5.16. So I always wonder, what is going on? Because no one's busy. I mean, even if you work 10-hour days at your job, that still leaves 14 hours. And unless you're sleeping all those 14 hours, there's still time. Right? Just saying. Galatians 5.16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. So I can guarantee you this. The flesh in the stragglers does not want them to be convicted and have a change of heart and make the right choice about God's grace. The flesh in these so-called stragglers, they do not want the person to make a good choice, to make the right choice about God's grace. Because when it does that, it loses control. Again, the point on the board, though, why is it that whenever convicting messages are presented, certain people are absent from their seats? Why is it typically the same people? Isn't it obvious? It's the Mothers, minimally. Minimally, it's the Mothers, the ones that are tending after the details of life, as if that's more important. And Jesus' message was, no, your sister has it right. There's only one detail that really matters. So I guess as I was developing this, and this is an internal conversation come out in my notes, it must be that time of year. That time where this shepherd is commissioned to remind you, dumb sheep, that your minds are wandering from truth. Not all, but some. And it's interesting because it happens by the end of every summer that I've stood behind this pulpit. Every summer, people kind of disperse. And by the end of the summer, it's like haggardness, if that's a word. Everybody's looking spiritually haggard. Why? I don't know. People get caught up in good weather, uh, parties, time off of work. Sometimes you go on vacation. It's hard to get off of vacation. So you're kind of lazy still. That whole thing goes on in the summers. Um, but it's interesting because at the end of every summer, um, we as a congregation suffer this phenomenon where literally there are way too many empty seats. And uh, there's really no cause for it, no legitimate reason for it. So even though I'm standing before you delivering the Spirit's message, chances are some of you are rejecting this God-given authority in your life. Even now, you hear my voice, you know that it's God the Holy Spirit trying to get to you, and you're rejecting it. Even now. Why? Galatians 5.17, For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another. The flesh loves the details of life. Loves it. Like swims in it. You know, does the backstroke. 
in the details of life because there's a return on investment for the flesh in the details of life. But if you don't have the one detail, Jesus Christ right in your life, what is there? So you're literally relegated to the domain of the flesh. Hence James' wisdom. Go to James 4, 7. James 4, verse 7. I mean, that's the only conclusion we can come to. That people are choosing other things over God's own wisdom, which is found in the Word of God. That's why we read Psalm 119. James 4, verse 7. First word, submit. Hupatasso. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit, up here on the board, Again, it's from hupotasso in the Greek. It means to fall in line under, to subject to, as in authority orientation. And for this submission to function, now listen, this is important. Not sure if I've ever put this emphasis on this word before, because we've seen this many times. For this submission to function, it must be self-willed, not forced. There has to be an I, and I'll give you the, um, again, what it means is to fall in line under, to subject to as in authority orientation. And for this submission to function, it must be self-willed, not forced. What you don't see, and one of the reasons I do go to the Greek once in a while, is this. The original Greek actually translates, I submit. I subject myself to. I place under, with emphasis on I. And so you see, again, this hupotasso means the I subject to authority orientation. So you are 100% involved. God says, I give you the free will to do this thing. But this is a command I'm putting on you. So, again, I submit, I subject myself, I place under I think this is something some of you need to understand, like, right now. And I'm just going to speak completely transparently with you. You just need to understand something right now. It's not my job to beat you into submission. It's not my job. It's my job to encourage you, remind you, be firm with you as necessary. That's my job. But it's not my job to adopt a position as your schoolmaster. I'm not going to hit you with a ruler. I'm not going to go to your house and shame you into receiving God's grace. That's not my job. So it's not my job to adopt a position as your schoolmaster or someone whose life is spent chasing you down. It's the law of God that is called schoolmaster, not Pastor Ed. And yet, I get the sinking suspicion that some of you act like adolescent children expecting to be dragged into submission. And you want me to do it. You want me to do the work for you, in other words. Just stay on me. Keep, you know, keep on me. Well, that's not my job. 
So I get this sinking suspicion that some act like adolescent children expecting to be dragged into submission where your antagonism is like some perverse turn-on for your flesh. Like you get off on this idea of being dragged, being uh, forcefully encouraged to, to a, a degree that I'm not going to go there. I have made that mistake, by the way. I'm speaking from personal experience. I have gone that route before and been too forceful. And I've suffered for it. But I can tell you this, it's not my job to serve your antagonism. Like, you know, like that disgusting dynamic that occurs in homes between adolescent brats and their parents, that whole thing, especially nowadays. Just to be honest, I have my own flesh to deal with. I mean, that's enough. Nowhere in the Bible am I ordered to become an authoritarian schoolmaster. So please remember the specifics of the slide on the board. Again, submit. You're submitting to God, remember. Hupotasso means to fall in line under, to subject to, as in authority orientation. And for this submission to function, it must be self-willed, not forced. And I gave you that. The original Greek uh, gives emphasis on the I part of the submission. All right, I want to look at one other verse now on this topic of submission. Go to Hebrews 13, 17. Hebrews 13, 17. And of course, anytime you hear a convicting message, a challenging message, you have to understand who it is that you're submitting to and whose authority ultimately is in view. I think it's a lot easier to cast off a person, Ed Collins. It's a lot easier to say, oh, that command came from him. That came from a guy. And since he's so flawed, and oh, maybe I even know him, because most of you know me personally, some more than others. Well, I know him. I know he's off his rocker. It's a lot easier to dismiss me as a person. And that's the little game that people play. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls, as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. This is um, from Pato up here on the board. Obey means to be persuaded, to believe, to trust. So that brings out a certain point. Trust and obey your leaders. And I've said this in the past, and I mean it with all my heart. If you can't trust me, then do yourself a favor right now and go find a pastor that you can trust. If you feel there's something between us that you cannot trust me, then go find one that you can trust. Because if you don't trust me, you'll never obey me. If you can't trust my heart, then you'll never willingly submit to my authority. That's a fact. You may play some little game of lip service, but I'd argue if that describes you, if you're playing lip service then you aren't even interested in the Word of God in the first place. Rather, you're likely abiding in some religious practice that you dragged with you from some previous religion or something. I don't know. Because that's what they do in religion. They give lip service. But they don't trust these morons that stand behind pulpits. 
How could they? They don't even make sense. They don't even align with the Word of God. There's nothing supernatural about their ministry at all. If anything, it's evil. Of course they're not going to trust them. But they like it. Because they get to play lip service and nobody asks questions. They don't have to come and hear messages like this one. That's what religion likes. Play the little game. I'm going to tell you this straight up. This isn't a game we are playing. Where I am the cat and you are the mouse. This isn't a game. Where you try to hide from your pastor and your pastor spends his waking days trying to drag you back to church. That's not a game that's even in the Bible. That's not my job. It's your job to obey and submit. It's not my job to force you to do such things. I lean on the following. Hold your thumb there. Go to 1 Thessalonians 4.7. 1 Thessalonians 4.7. So all the Spirit's doing this evening is reorienting you again. It happens like twice a year. And one of those times usually is at the end of summer. Because everybody's all haggard and half-witted. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. It's funny because everybody has excuses. It's always comical. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Um, that's why we're here. We are called to be sanctified, set apart for His purposes, to bring glory to God. That doesn't happen when you're ignoring one important detail for all the other details in your life. There's nothing magnificent about you because you're good at your job. There's nothing magnificent about you because you can juggle a thousand different things at once. I know the world tells you you're magnificent. They may even pay you handsomely for it. But there's nothing magnificent about you, especially if you don't forget, if you're forgetting the one detail that matters. And when he calls to you through his under-shepherd and says, hey, wake up, take the grace I'm giving you before it gets too late, I'm just warning you. When you ignore that calling, all this stuff is going to be haunting to you. It's going to be a judgment on you. When you're underwater and drowning because of the details of life, don't come biatching to me about how your life is in disarray and how you can't seem to get ahead and you're drowning, this kind of thing. Because these messages are meant to deliver you, to sanctify you. Remember why you are here, what you were called. We just read it. God has not called you for the purpose of impurity, but in what? Sanctification through the Word and the Spirit. You get the content and the power. Verse 8, so he who rejects this is not rejecting man. I know this. You are not rejecting me. If you've got something going on in your soul right now and you're like, you know, eh, I don't really like the ball guy. And uh, he's kind of getting on my nerves ever since Sunday. You don't you don't, you're missing the point. I, you have, that has no effect on my soul. It has effect on your soul because you're out of line. Because you're um, disoriented, not oriented to God's authority. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So the strength of every argument I've ever given on this subject of authority orientation is based on the basic premise that God sanctifies you not me. 
It's not my job to sanctify you, you see. It's God's job. So when you say no to His grace, you're saying no to God. If the Word and the Spirit can't do it because you reject them, then I certainly am not going to be able to do it. Okay, go back to Hebrews 13, 17. Hebrews 13, 17. These are important lessons. It's too bad Lois is sick tonight because she'd be going like this. And if Bill was still alive, he'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They loved authority orientation stuff. Hebrews 13, I'm not saying other views don't, but what about me? Stop. <laughs> Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. That means you suffer. I mean, I suffer my own way because my heart breaks. But that's something that's going to happen until the day I die. The point is, though, it's unprofitable for you. If you don't obey and submit to me, then you suffer. You lose out. Again, first we had obey means to be persuaded, to believe, to trust. Now, interestingly, the submit here is slightly different than the one we noted in James 4.17, which was hupo tasso. Uh, so I want to show it to you. Submit here is hupa echo. It means to retire, withdraw, submit. It's related, but it's slightly different. Retire, withdraw, submit. In context, means to yield to God-given authority. It means to withdraw yourself. See, the flesh always wants to be in front. It wants to supplant God's authority. It says, no, I'm an authority, right? Right? Tashuka, I want to rule. This means to step back, to retire from that position. Say, God, that's your position. You're the one in authority. I submit to you. I retire. I withdraw from that position. I submit to that position that you own rightly in my life. That's what it means to submit. Why does God the Holy Spirit have me bring this up every so often from the pulpit? Again, isn't it obvious? Here's our instigating principle from the start of class. Why stragglers? Well, are they obeying? Are they submitting? Are they obeying and are they submitting? I don't think so. How could they be? Because, you know, remember functional, practical, how could they be obeying and submitting? If I'm standing behind this pulpit like a broken record saying, you guys, you got to get here. you got to get the grace. you got to get the grace that's given outside of this pulpit. you got to get all of it. And you keep on ignoring it. That's like the antithesis, right? I mean, if the person in authority says, hey, take your butt and go from home to the seat over in, on the hill in North Dighton, and you don't do it, well, isn't that a direct violation of a command? If the authority says go from here to there on Tuesday, Thursday, sometimes Wednesdays, and Sundays, and open up that email, you know, the one that says this is a blog, yay, that kind of stuff, and you ignore it, how can you possibly say that you are obeying or submitting? Especially when it comes from the pulpit so strongly. Why is it that whenever convicting messages are presented, certain people are absent from their seats? Why is it typically the same people? 
Oh, isn't it obvious? All I can say is look around, um, look in the mirror. Stragglers aren't that difficult to identify. And for the record, I'm not judging a single soul. Just calling it the way I see it as the God-given authority in this church. And if you don't like that idea, you know where the doors are. If you don't want to submit, if you don't want to follow the Word of God, then just leave. Go find somebody you can obey, someone you can trust. If you think I'm wrong about Holy Scripture, go find someone that you think you can trust that has it right. But I just took you to the original language, making it really difficult to refute. Taking away all the little, you know, the little nuances and the little excuses. Oh boy, Pastor was really crabby tonight. He must have had a bad day. He must be, he must be the uh, whatever they put him on for anesthesia. He must be affecting his head still. Came back too early, obviously. And on Sunday he was worried about Monday, so he was crabby then too. You don't think people think like that? Oh, he must be having a bad day. Why is he taking it out on us? Oh, grow up. Seriously, grow up. I got better things to do than to wail on you people. Sometimes. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. It's trying to make you laugh because you're all like, oh, I don't like these lessons so much. I really don't. Like Scott actually moved his seat. He's hiding behind Big Jim, like the tallest guy and the littlest guy. It's like, what the? Scott, so obvious. <laughs> I'm not judging anyone. I'm not here to judge, honest to goodness. I have my own problems. But I am the authority here. And you either respect it or you don't. And I tell you, because I love you, if you don't respect, if you don't respect this office, this man in this office, then you should leave. Otherwise, your other option is to obey and submit, just like God said. God said, I have ordained this guy to stand there. He's been given my authority, which is the same thing as my authority, to stand there. And um, if you don't agree with me on that subject, then I just go somewhere else, I guess. So I want you to know that I mean what I say with all love and respect for each one of you as individuals. I'm not judging anyone. Here's, what I, here's my motivation. I know for a fact, a fact, not kind of, fact, even from personal experience, that if you obey and submit to me as your shepherd, God will bless you. I know that for a fact. If you obey and submit, God will bless you. You may say, your flesh is like, no way. And God's like, yes way. And if you follow my commands, I, I, I'm going to bless you because I don't lie. Some of you are like, but you're, you're wrong sometimes. No kidding. But that never gives you a right. You still are called to obey and submit. Please understand that I'm not trying to berate anyone just encouraging each of you to think about your priorities right now. Think about your priorities. Think of Martha and Mary. Think about your priorities right now. Where are they? Jesus, in John's Revelation vision, said this to the church at Ephesus. 
one that we might relate to partially at least. Go to Revelation 2, verse 1. Revelation 2, verse 1. Revelation 2, verse 1. <clears throat> Revelation 2, 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, say this, says this, I know your deeds and your toil, excuse me, and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you found them to be false. This is all good news, right? It's pretty good. So far, so good, right? And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Ah, this is like an excellent report card, isn't it? But I have this against you. Oh, there we go. It's always the comment section, huh? That you have left your first love. Oh, Oh, man. You mean we started well. You, we're doing well fun functionally. But I see your heart, and I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Mm. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the deeds you did at first. Some of you hear my words right now. You were so fervent when you came to the Lord. It was like this, you know, if you were on a, if you were to graph it, like an excitement, you know, a fervency. It was like, whoo, yeah, I got saved. This is so amazing. I'm going to stay up here my whole life. Uh-oh, details of life. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. What happened? You were right here. What happened to all that gratitude you had when you realized you were saved? Seriously, what happened? Did salvation get boring? Did you lose your fervency? You were so in love with Jesus Christ, were you not? What happened? The details of life. You got sucked in to the vacuum called life. And the kingdom of darkness is going, <laughs> bravo, bravo. And Satan's laughing all the way to the bank. And so Jesus says, remember where you have fallen. From where you have fallen, repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. As we've been studying in great detail, love is the motivating factor behind our obeying the entire law of Christ. But like in the church of Ephesus, like the Spirit saying to some of you, you have lost your first love. Oh, you're doing the right things for the most part. You're kind of going through the motions. You don't do the things you used to do, you know, these kind of things. And it's, it's good in that sense, but you lost your first love. And if you've lost your first love, and the very law is named after that love, you and the law are going to kind of have start and have a falling out. You're not going to really like the commandments anymore. You're not going to really want to obey or submit to the one who's spitting them at you, you know, the ball guy. You're not going to like it anymore. Why? Because you lost your first love. See, in the beginning, I could have said anything to you. When most of you were first saved, if I was around during that time, I could have said anything. You'd be like, oh, that was the best service ever. Now it's like, what happened? No, really, that's a question for you. What happened to your fervency? How long did it take? If you look at your life, what stole it from you? 
What did you allow to seep into your life? Sometimes it's like erosion, right? What did you allow to seep into your life that was taking you away from your first love? What seduced you from your first love? Because Jesus doesn't go anywhere. He's a perfect husband. What seduced you away from your perfect husband? Only you can answer that. Something in life. There's got to be a reason why you don't take in the grace of God. When God says flat out, if you take it in, I'm going to bless you for crying out loud. There's got to be some other priority, some other love. Ah, here we go. I fell in love with a little box with like green fluorescent lights on it. And it's got an X on it. Nobody? Xbox? Joey's like, I know what it is. Everybody else is like, huh? Scott's like, I still got Nintendo DS. Is that bad? Scott, you poor guy. See, that's what you get from moving. For other people, I don't know. The shopping mall? Amazon? Huh? Amazon? How about social networking? Oh, my God. How about that one? How about Facebook? Sean and I went to a concert, and there was like three or four, five, five grown ladies my age in front of us, like in this row. Best concert I've ever been to. I'm not going to tell you who it was because they're not on Caleb, so you'll get mad at me. But best performance I've seen. Okay? Just admit, you don't have to like them. Anyways, great concert. They're all on Facebook the whole time. The concert's going on there like this. Put it away for literally three, four, five minutes. Posting it. Enjoy the concert, dumb, dumb, dumb. <laughs> right? Enjoy the concert. We drove all the way here. It's like in the middle of Boston. What's wrong with you? You drove to Boston, paid God knows how much money, and you're going to spend it on Facebook? What's wrong with you? What's wrong? Because they love Facebook. They love the rush. And you know there's a chemical thing, right? They're doing research that it releases dopamine, which is no different than what happens when you're on like certain drugs and stuff like that. Highs, that kind of stuff. They're learning that it's just as addictive as like alcohol. Ask somebody to put their phone down for a day. They're going to do everything to sneak it. People are addicted. They're in love with a piece of technology this big. They're in love with their technology. What about Christ? That's what it means to lose your first love. What has slipped in? Some of you would have, wouldn't have traded Christ for anything when you first got saved. You were so in love, so enamored with the fact that, man, you, you mean to tell me he did everything? He did everything. I, I just love Jesus. And then like a month, two months, six months later, next thing you know, you're on Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is you do. So those are the questions we all have to ask ourselves when we lose sight of our first love, who or what came in and seduced us away? So we have been studying for a reason. Remember, all these lessons lead up to even this one. We've been studying in great detail love as the motivating factor behind obeying. 
the entire law of Christ. Simply stated, love is the answer that we're all looking for. The kingdom of darkness knows this, and so it tries to supplant, replace God's version of love with something perverse. That's what it does. I want to replace God's version with something perverse. It's going to look a lot like love, but it's not. That's why I stand by my thoughts on why most people don't ever get truly serious about Christ. It's because they are preoccupied with some counterfeit love. Now, usually something romantic is designed to distract them from the love of Christ. Usually. Could be the obvious, opposite sex. That's DJ and I will go to our grave saying that's the number one. Or even some other romantic notion. Like, say, the American dream. It's going to work this out. I just want my little cape with my picket fence and my two and a half kids and my puppy and my puppy house and my cat and with a kid, you know, the automatic litter box. I get this whole thing ironed out. I just got to get there and then I'll go back to my first love. So there's some romantic notions, not just the opposite sex, that tends to be the big one, but there's a lot of romantic notions in this world that seduce you away from your first love. I have seen, hmm, just about everything. I have seen children be the excuse why people have left their first love. Children. Now, it's not kind of perverse. You just put, if you're going to have a child, then the first priority is I got to raise this child in the faith. The last thing you want to do is let a child take you away from the faith. Then what are you going to raise them in? I've had people leave this church because of their children. And I say, how does that work? Aren't they under your headship? Aren't they like in your house? Um, just say, get in a car because we're going to church. Because that's what we do in my house. And this is my house. And you're my kid. And you're under my authority. Get in the car, and let's go. And that's it. They might argue once or twice, and they figure out, oh, that's a losing battle. And so they go. It's all kinds of romantic things. All kinds of perversions. How many people can honestly say that Jesus Christ is their first priority? I'm not going to look up. How many people can honestly say that Jesus Christ is their first priority? Isn't that the reason why we're picking on the stragglers earlier? If Jesus was their first priority, wouldn't they be consuming every last drop of grace he's given them? Absolutely. But they don't. So the fair conclusion is the one that states the obvious. Neither Jesus nor his law is their first priority. As was the case with the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2. These folks have lost their first love. Oh, trust me, if you're madly in love with something or someone, you know what you're always thinking about? That's something or someone. Why isn't it Jesus? That's a fair question. I mean, he should be the love of your life. No other human, no other thing should ever take his place in your life. And if they have, you need to get them out of that position. You need to put Christ there where he was when you were first saved. 
So if this is true, what say you of their, these people's ability to follow this particular command in the Word of God if they've lost their first love? 1 Peter 1.22 in the NIV, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. Or how about the straggler's ability to follow this command up here on the board, Ephesians 4.15. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. I mean, why would you even grow in his direction if he's not your first priority? You won't. You will grow, into the, you will grow in the direction of some other counterfeit love meant to take you away from him. I guess what the Spirit's taking this time for us, or why He's taking this time for us, is that we must evaluate where our first love is relative to our posture in this life. Is He up on a shelf collecting dust? I mean, is he just, do you just, you know what I'm saying, do you just see Him at church? Do you, like, come to church and, oh, this is my first love. Oh, He's so, he's so adorable. I love Jesus so much. Isn't He awesome? Yeah, okay, let's get back to the car. Back to the details. Martha, Martha. Back to the details. Did, did that bald guy say something about like going home and actually opening up my web browser and going to some website or something like that? Did he say something about getting emails with like mini lessons in them that relate to the pulpit? Did he say something? No. Nah. No. Nah. Oh, that's a game. That's some perverse game that people play, and it's called religion. And what the Spirit's saying is, where are you relative to your first love? I mean, you certainly did love Him when He saved you, right? I mean, you were all about that. Now what? We must evaluate where our first love is relative to our posture in this life. Is it with Jesus? And the evidence is in our persistent thirst for truth, our hunger for the word? Or should we at least admit that it isn't the case? Wouldn't that be a good starting point for some of you? That he really isn't a priority in your life, certainly not the top? And then spend some real time evaluating our priorities. That sounds like a good approach to me. For how can we expect to love at all if we lose sight of the following? Go to 1 John 4.16. 1 John 4.16. 1 John 4.16. This whole lesson is about love. It's being delivered in love. It's focused on love. It pivots on love. 1 John 4.16, we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. What the word tells us is simple, that if we love the way God wants us to love, we have the power to overcome the world itself. That's what Jesus was trying to say to Martha. Martha, Martha, look, you got this backwards, okay? Your sister's got it right. Focus on me, the details we'll take care of. We'll take care of those things. But you have to prioritize me. 
But see, you got it backwards. You're prioritizing the details, and then you want to get to me after the details. And I would say that that's probably the way most people live their lives. That's why people don't show up. If, if just coming to church was a priority, you know what you would say to your boss the next time they ask you to stay light? Yeah, I can't. I'll have to do it tomorrow. Oh, Pastor, you don't know. Oh, yes, I do understand. 20 years, thank you very much, at a pace that most of you couldn't stand for a week. So don't tell me that crap. Where is your priority? Seriously, because most of, most of the people that I know, when it comes to church, it's, uh, it's an afterthought. It's a, can I fit it in? Oh, I'll make plans and it's there and I'll, I'll do my best. But when push comes to shove, uh-uh. Job takes precedent. Family, so-called family matters take precedent. This takes precedent. This takes, school takes, oh no, school don't. I had to do my homework. You should have done it the week before. You've had that assignment for a month. Don't tell me you have to do your homework on church night. That's a stinking low-life cop-out. And people do it all the time. It's just like work. If you know you're going to have church on Thursday night and you got a whole week to get a piece of work done and you took off early to go shopping on Monday and all of a sudden it's, it's crunch time and you can't come to church because you've got to do that thing that was supposed to be done this week, eh, church suffers. I, trust me, I know the games. I have two boys, masters, right? That's only because they're fresh in my mind. I was a master, I'm sure. We all are at making ridiculous excuses as to why we can't take in God's grace. And God sees the heart, and he says, the problem is not the details, oh child of mine. The problem is, you don't love my son the way you used to anymore. You don't really want the relationship you said you wanted with him when I saved you. You don't want those things that you said you wanted before. And you need to repent. Everybody says, I don't know anybody, any Christian I've ever met that says, I don't want Jesus. Everybody wants Jesus. But they want him when he's convenient. They want him as a rebound guy. They want to go get rejected by the world, go flirt, go adulterate with the world, figure out that that doesn't work. When they fall flat on their face, they want a rebound guy. Well, Jesus is always there, right? So says the Word of God. That's true. But read Romans 5 and 6 when you go home tonight. <gasps> what? Homework? <laughs> right? I know it's going to take a whole five minutes. You're not supposed to put him to the test like that. Because that's not what love does. Love doesn't look for ways to put other people who love them to the test. That's not what love does. It's not interested in playing games. I wonder how far I can do this until God like drops the hammer on me. I wonder how long he'll let me get away with this thing until he crushes me. I'm going to say that's the bad route to take. What the Word tells us is simple, that if we love the way God wants us to love, we have the power to overcome the world itself. That was packaged into the short little message that the account of Martha and Mary and Jesus. Get your priorities straight. Our pristine example is the cross, where love hung, 
and overcame death itself. Go to 1 John 5, verse 1. 1 John 5, verse 1. This is love, my friends. This is what it's all about. 1 John 5, 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and observe His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. Oh, wait a minute, what? This is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And you know what? His commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Where's your love? Where's your first love? Is there a reason why all of a sudden God's commandments to obey, to submit, to take in all the grace have all of a sudden become burdensome to you? All of a sudden you can't take in the word of God? All of a sudden you can't read it? You can't take advantage of a ministry like this one to its full extent? I mean, what happened? You were doing so well. Who has bewitched you? What has bewitched you? I'll borrow from Tuesday's lesson up here on the board. Stay in the sphere of love. Don't ever let it leave your side, regardless of the type of situation you're in. And maintain always your faith in God's love for you. And when in doubt, ask for more. This has been coming from the pulpit for probably a good 6 to 12 months now. If you're ever in doubt, just ask. If, if you don't have the faith that you want to have, if you say, but, oh, man, if I just do that thing you just told me about, you know, like making, making a choice for church over work, if I do that thing, I'm not going to get my promotion. You might not. But God might say you don't need that promotion. If I don't do that, you don't understand. If I don't do this thing with my kids, or if I don't do this thing with my car, or this thing with my house, then get rid of that stuff because it owns you. Not the kid, though. <laughs> Sorry, that kid was in there. You know what I'm saying? I get like a little Moses basket on my doorstep. You said, whoa! <laughs> get rid of the stuff. That old saying, the things you own end up owning you, is true. If you don't have the capacity for it, get rid of it. If, if whatever it is that's in your life has been taking you away, and it may be erosive, I'm telling you, look back on your life over the past five years even. What has dragged you away the most? And if you can start identifying those things, then you have to say, well, if it's dragging me away, it's not good. If it's taking me away from the Lord, my first love, then I should cut it off. Didn't Jesus say that in really stark words? If you get a bad eye, pull it out. Bad hand, chop it off. What was he saying? He wasn't saying chop your hand off. He's saying get rid of that stuff, the stuff that's dragging you away from the very love of God. And if you say, I don't have the strength, I don't have the strength to do this thing, I'm so lockstep, I'm so lock, stock, and barrel in my life, I get it. Ask God. Some of you don't, some of you are afraid to pray on these things to God because you're afraid of the answer. You know the answer. You know what he's going to tell you. 
and you don't want him to tell you. So, you know, like, like uh, if you're a parent, like, um, bo and both my boys will tell you this, they go to dad for some questions and mom for other questions. Why? Because they don't want to hear what I have to say sometimes, and they don't want to hear what she has to say sometimes. They go to the one that's going to give them the answer, most likely to give them the answer they want to hear. If they want a short answer, they go to Tammy. If they want a really long one, they come to me. So usually they go to her. You know what I'm saying? We pick and choose. We don't want to hear the answers. We don't want to hear the truth. But when in doubt, if you lack faith, what does the Bible say? Go to God, who gives abundantly. I can't do it. I know, I've been, sit I've been sitting here waiting for you to come to me, in honesty. I can't make this decision. It's too hard. I can't, Martha, right? Imagine what Martha was saying. What? I've got to clean a house, Jesus. Look at this place. Tell her to help me. I've got to do this. Right? Martha was probably that person. I'm not going to judge her because there's not much there, but you know what I'm saying. Maybe she was that person. It would have taken some faith for her to let go, you know, the, the death grip on the details. Martha, let it go. You got the Messiah sitting with you. And you worried about details, mopping floors and stuff, sweeping up and complaining? How's that any different than you all? Is not the Lord with you? What are you afraid of? Losing your grip on the world. And what do we know from 1 John 4.18? There is no fear in love. They are mutually exclusive. So if you know you're afraid of something, you know you're not functioning in his love. What are you afraid of? The world? The repercussions the world are going to have on you? When you stop making choices for God, for receiving his grace? I can't read the blog because I've got to read my report from work. That's what I do on Saturday mornings. I get up, I have my coffee, and I have a spreadsheet, and I've got to read the numbers got to get the numbers. Or if you're like taught a contract, I got to go fix that roof. No, you don't. You got to let God fix your soul. The hell does it matter that there's a leaky roof? Seriously. It's amazing what we prioritize over our first love. And then looking back, we wonder, well, what happened to him? Why is he not my priority? That's why something has seeped into your life over time. Satan's smart and he's patient. And he just eroded it, dragged it away, told you all along the way, it's okay. Nope, nope, it's okay. Here, it's okay. Don't worry, he's still there. He's always there. You can come with me for a little while. You might be way over here saying, I don't have the strength to get back. Well, then go to God. Because God is gracious towards those who are humble towards him. Amen? We're out of time. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful privilege to study your word here this evening. We ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned out to a lost and dying world, Father, that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.